You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome, everybody. You are listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melkier. And, of course, that's me. I am the host of this show. Happy Monday to everybody. And, of course, of course, you Darvish finally finds a home over the weekend. Had to wait to talk about it. Well, hopefully worth the wait. Uh, and not only are we going to talk about the Darvish signing, uh, signing with the Cubs, but uh, one of the key suitors over the past few weeks, uh, the Twins, They've got to look elsewhere for uh, starting pitching. Been talking about that a lot lately on the show. And going to have one of my favorite beat writers on here to break that situation down with us, uh, Mike Berardino of the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Uh, He is all over everything twins all the time. Uh, That's why I really like following him on Twitter and reading his stuff. Uh, So Mike's going to be on the show a little bit later on to look at uh, how the twins can deal with their remaining options. And, you know, it's just, it's a really intriguing roster top to bottom. So going to ask him about uh, a few, a few other players besides uh, just who is and and isn't in the starting rotation currently. So that's obviously the big news, uh, but we have had some uh, other news as well over the last uh, day or two. But uh, before I get to all of that, just a reminder that at least for some teams, pitchers and catchers report tomorrow. <laughs> so when I do this show the next time, when I'm doing this little opening bit 24 hours from now, there's going to be Major League Baseball players in their spring training sites officially reporting. And of course, they've several players for several teams have already reported and, and are working out. And, and official workouts, I think, don't start for any team until Wednesday. But we take what we can get here. So especially with it being such a slow offseason, yep, the real thing, well, the kind of sort of real thing before the real real thing starts tomorrow. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, so moving on, yes, you uh, Darvish finally signing. Uh, he has a six-year, $126 million deal with the Chicago Cubs. That was initially reported by Ken Rosenthal. And then following up on that report, uh, Jeff Passan of Yahoo Sports uh, reported that Darvish has an opt-out after two years into that deal. But, you know, Cubs are, are certainly in win-now mode. So, uh, you know, whatever it takes to get Darvish uh, into the rotation, to take the rotation, that was that was good. I, I feel like it's been unfairly maligned in part because two of the starters, um, John Lester and Kyle Hendricks, I, I don't think that either one gets enough credit. Um, so adding Darvish to that mix uh, certainly makes it a very formidable rotation. Of course, the acquisition of Jose Quintana last year and then uh, – Finishing it out uh, with uh, one of the earliest signings this offseason, Tyler Chatwood, who had a very intriguing 2017 season. So really, one through five, that's a pretty good-looking Cubs rotation. And I didn't think it was bad-looking before. I mean, if you were talking about Mike Montgomery as your number five starter behind those other four, that's still a pretty nice rotation. But obviously, adding Darvish, who I apparently do like better than most. He's my number 10 starting pitcher as of right now. Um. Uh, you know, he's uh, 
he's clearly you know, one of the, the, the best starters out there. And, um, you know, just uh, takes a, a rotation that was pretty good and, and makes it really great. And then, you know, you take Mike Montgomery, who would have been, I think, just perfectly fine as a number four or five starter. And now you've got him for innings in the bullpen. Uh, speaking of which, I'll just plug real quickly uh, a piece that I published over the weekend for Fangraphs on middle relievers and setup uh, relievers that you can target even if they don't get saves. Uh, now, uh, yeah, I wrote that before, I believe. I wrote that before the Darvish signing. So maybe Montgomery should have been included in that, but uh, he wasn't. But uh, 12 others that you can look at. And some of the, the obvious names, like Andrew Miller and uh, Dylan Betances. But uh, give it a read if, if uh, you haven't done so already. And if you're in a league where uh, saves are, aren't easy to come by and you can use uh, relievers to help you in other ways. So a not-so-brief plug. So thank you for indulging me on that. And we'll move on to some other reliever news that the Cardinals uh, have an agreement with Bud Norris. Uh, it's just pending a physical. So uh, assuming that goes all right, Bud Norris will be in the Cardinals bullpen. And uh, some deceptive looking numbers from last year in a, in a bad way. He finished with a 4.21 ERA, but he was really solid right through the end of July. But then he had uh, some struggles in August and then within two or three weeks uh, was diagnosed with some knee problems that clearly were bothering him and bothered him throughout the remainder of the season. So, again, when you have a, a performance that can be explained with a health issue, you can cut it two ways and say, oh, well, if he's healthy, he could be much better than the numbers indicate. But then you can also question whether or not that player is going to be completely healthy. And and by the way, as we are on the verge of spring training starting, and once the, the exhibitions start, that I, I'm one to really not be swayed, or, or put it this way, I aspire not to be swayed by spring training numbers. I think I'm largely successful by that, but you know, every year I, I get caught up in the excitement or the, the panic or the worry like, like just about everybody else does. But um, I, I'm, I'm typically pretty good about keeping spring num training numbers in perspective. But when there's a position battle, then those numbers matter, obviously, a little bit more. And when you've got a player like Bud Norris coming back from late season health issues, that's always a good way to see if they're back. You know, look at what the, the velocity is, look at uh, how good the control is. Um, you, know, you can't necessarily just go by, you know, ERA or something like that in a limited number of spring innings. That's going to be deceptive a lot of times. But you look look at some other indicators to see if somebody uh, appears to be fully healthy. So we'll be looking for that with Bud Norris. But it would appear that Luke Gregerson, by all ind indications, will be the closer there in St. Louis. But, um, you know, Gregerson's uh, had his ups and downs. Last year was a, a lot of downs, a, a very... Uh, uncharacteristically um, mediocre season, I would say, for Luke Gregerson. So if those struggles continue, particularly the struggles he had with the long ball, but Norris is there as a, as a potential option. Uh, the Astros, according to Craig Mish of SiriusXM, have engaged with the Marlins in some trade discussions over JT Realmuto. That was a really interesting development over the weekend. And making it even more interesting is that the Marlins are asking for uh, top outfield prospect Kyle Tucker in return. And the Astros apparently did not just flat out reject that uh, that offer. So that's uh, that could be interesting in a whole bunch of ways. Of course, Tucker uh, would go to a Marlins team that has really beefed up its farm system 
And I think that the return on a lot of their trades has been light, lighter than I think it should have been, lighter than I expected. But they did they did well with the Christian Yelich deal, in my opinion. And adding Kyle Tucker to that mix, or they got Lewis Brinson. Of course, a lot of good outfielders got Lewis Brinson, Monty Harrison, uh, McNair Sierra. So uh, it'd be nice to see him maybe spread the wealth a little bit. But you know, good talent is good talent, and that would be pretty exciting for the Marlins, who you know have already gotten rid of a, a lot of their their best talent. So you know, if they continue the teardown to get somebody the quality of of Kyle Tucker. That would, uh, you know, that'd be good for the Marlins and, and good for Tucker, too, it's certainly in the shorter run, uh, because as I discussed uh, last week, I think it was with uh, Nando DeFino on the show, the depth that the Astros just have at all levels is just ridiculous. So uh, now you might be wondering on the other side that the Astros, they've got Brian McCann, they've got Evan Gaddis. What do they need with JT Romuto? Well, it certainly will create, I think, some playing time headaches for this year, especially for McCann and Gaddis, but both of them will become free agents after this season. So you can certainly see the Astros' interest in bringing on Real Muto, and that's got to be, if it happens, I would think pretty bad news fantasy-wise for McCann and Gaddis. And I think I said on that same show with Nando, I just don't trust the playing time for Gaddis. Now, I understand he's going to probably DH a lot, but again, there's so much depth there that I don't see him being an every-time player, even splitting time between DH and catcher. And if Real Muto comes, I think the catching is going to be very, very few and far between for him. So maybe it doesn't even happen, but that would be an exciting trade if it did go down. Uh, now, of course, we have the Darvish signing, but a couple of updates in terms of a couple other big-name free agents. Nothing really exciting here, but Scott Boris met with uh, the Dimebacks owner, Ken Kendrick, within uh, the last several days um, about J.D. Martinez. So uh, that just really sort of builds on some of the other reporting from last week that the Dimebacks are are really in that mix for Martinez along with the Red Sox. And uh, also sort of status quo here, according to Dennis Lynn of The Athletic, that the Padres have been in touch with Eric Hosmer's agent again over the last several days. So that the, the two big teams there that have really been involved with Hosmer, of course, the Royals and the Padres. So Padres by no means have, uh, they have not dropped out of the Hosmer sweepstakes. Really interesting piece from Jane Lee of MLB.com. I think this came out on Sunday. Uh, basically just, you know, on the face of it just looks like sort of a, a, a normal off season piece about, you know, projecting the, the lineup and, and rotation and such. But, Digging into that, there were a couple of, I thought, very uh, noteworthy uh, things there. Uh, Jane Lee wrote that she expects Dustin Fowler to be the, the, the player to basically be in the driver's seat for the starting center field job, which I think was, was presumed, certainly I presumed it, that uh, Boog Powell was was going to do that. And for no other reason, just that Dustin Fowler's coming off that horrible knee injury that he sustained in his first ever major league game when he was still with the Yankees, uh, ruptured his right patellar tendon running into what just uh, to the naked eye just looked like a, a, a padded wall uh, down the right field line, but it actually was an unpadded electrical box. There was a news item recently that Fowler was uh, suing uh, the, the public authority that runs uh, guaranteed rate field. I think he was suing the White Sox as well. 
but don't uh, I, I'm not 100% sure about that. But uh, in any event, you know, that's been in the news lately. But apparently he's he's, he's healthy enough and, and has come back far enough that uh, a major beat writer thinks that Dustin Fowler is now the front runner to be the the A center fielder. That's exciting because this is a guy who had a breakout year last year at 293 at AAA Scranton Wilkes Bar with 13 homers and 13 steals in 70 games. So there's somebody who, you know, just by those numbers in a very superficial sense could be a 2020 player uh, at some point. Uh, I, I, you know, I think if you dig a little deeper, you see that he could put up those kinds of numbers in time as a major leaguer with, um, you know, some some speed and, and some decent contact skills and a little bit of power could really be a nice all around player. But, you know, big question is how healthy is he going to be? Is he going to run as much after that uh, horrific knee injury? Uh, we we shall see, but it would be exciting to actually see him get that shot to be a, a starter in the outfield for the A's. And then uh, Lee goes on to write about the A's rotation and not as exciting or as interesting, but still definitely caught my attention. So she projects the A's rotation, says, no surprise to anybody, Kendall Graveman and Shamanaya, they're locks. They're number one, number two. And at this point, I think we have a pretty decent idea of what to expect, especially from Graveman, who's been around for a few years and, and has uh, a good ability to get uh, some ground balls, but not going to be a, a big-time strikeout pitcher. In fact, one of the more contact-friendly pitchers in the majors. Not a not a, a, a big fantasy uh, impact player other than maybe in points leagues. Uh, but Manaya, a little bit more of a, a, a mystery because he's uh, had some inconsistencies uh, as a major leaguer. But um, you know, just like I was talking about with, with Bud Norris, you know, had a, a very good season for the most part. And then it got the numbers really got uh, dampened by by a, a poor finish. Same thing with Sean Manaya through his first 19 starts, a 3.82 ERA and a 1.23 whip. Uh, allowing just nine point, I'm sorry, point nine home runs per nine innings. Um, you know, not numbers that are going to blow you away, but especially for somebody in his first full season, uh, you know, in the American League, very, very respectable. 23.4% strikeout rate also doesn't blow the doors off uh, anything, but very good. So everything just very good across the board right through the end of, I think it was the end of July. And then his velocity was down the last two months and it really showed up. Uh, in his numbers, and also in September, had some back issues. And then again, you have to wonder how much was that affecting him? For how long was that affecting him? So a little bit of uncertainty with Sean Manaya, but the upside is clearly there, and and much less hype going into this year for Manaya than there was last year. And then you got Jarrell Cotton, you know, similar thing where much less there's a lot much less hype this year, but the upside is still there. But last year just. Couldn't get the swings and misses like he uh, did in the minors. Very, very home run prone. 2.0 home runs per nine, which is obviously just uh, astronomical. A 5.58 ERA. So you're not going to have to give up a whole lot to get uh, Jarrell Cotton. And I would only pursue him in a deeper league, but you know, could be there very, very cheaply. And then there's Daniel Mangden, who just quite the opposite seems to be generating a little bit of off season buzz had a fantastic September where he threw a shutout and had a couple of, of scoreless games of seven innings had four quality starts in the month of September made seven starts on the year with a 3.14 ERA uh, the, the pie ERA uh, and uh, you know, but also not a strikeout guy and uh, he, he was good at avoiding hard contact. And yes, I'm somebody who, 
you know, show after show after show uh, gets very intrigued by pitchers who find ways to get outs other than the strikeout. But it just doesn't quite add up for me with Mengden, and I, I just haven't really bought into him. So, uh, you know, th- those are, uh, you know, the ones that, uh, along with Paul Blackburn, Cotton, Mengden, and Paul Blackburn, uh, Jane Lee. Sorry, it took me a long time to kind of get to the main point of this. Cotton, Mengden, and, and Paul Blackburn, according to Jane Lee, would be the, uh, the I don't know if it's the favorites, but that's who she projects for the three, four, five spots over Andrew Triggs. Uh, and and Gossett, so Daniel Gossett. A little surprising to me. Anyway, we'll put that on ice for now. Uh, Interesting stuff, though. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Twins rotation. And we're going to talk about them with Mike Berardino from St. Paul Pioneer Press. So do stick around. Be a good time right after the break. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melvier, and as promised, uh, first time on the show. Been uh, wanting to have him on for a while, and uh, glad to welcome from the St. Paul Pioneer Press, Mike Berardino. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time and joining me here today. Thanks for having me, Al. What's up? Well, uh, a lot. <laughs> Finally, some big <laughs> news. Uh, news I'm sure it's kept you very busy uh, with the U Darvish signing with the Cubs, though, not with the Twins. And uh, Twins rotation has, you know, been uh, all the talk for, uh, well, you know, pretty much since we got the news about Irvin Santana and his finger injury and him missing uh, at least a month, probably more at the start of the season. So uh, already a team that, you know, it was clear, clear their weakness was the starting rotation now down their ace for uh, a chunk of the season. How many starters do you think the Twins are, are going to add uh, between now and opening day? Well, uh, probably somewhere between zero and three, but uh, and zero, you know, is always a possibility in the in this uh, very strange off season market uh, that now goes into the spring. Um, I do think that uh, they will uh, just kind of set their sights now at a, a tick lower from the Darvish thing. All along, I kept reporting this winter that that they would stay in the Darvish uh, hunt until he had made his decision, and that kind of kept them. Uh, nipping away at the edges of things with um, with three uh, bullpen signings that should help, and then the Michael Pineda signing that's more about 2019. Although he thinks he'll be back late in 2018, off of Tommy John, it's possible. But um, it's hard to gauge uh, just what will reach fruition at this point because um, they've they've been all over the map. They've investigated every possible uh, starter scenario, and you know the names and you know the trade possibilities, but. Um, they weren't willing to top the Astros offer uh, for Garrett Cole and 
my source is telling me that the Twins did follow that Garrett Cole possibility right until its uh, completion, and, and uh, they did not like the fact there were just two years of control left. So that has to be factored into any talks regarding, say, Jake Odorizzi or Patrick Corbin with just one year left. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And I got the sense from uh, a recent piece that you wrote that because of those uh, control concerns, it just sounds like they'd be more inclined to go the free agent route. There's certainly plenty of options still out there. Um, did I read that correctly? Uh, do, do they, uh, does the organization have a, a preference for going the free agent route? I think uh, you know, Thad Levine talked about that even at the winter meetings, um, saying that it's probably an industry-wide feeling it's uh, easier to spend the money. And, and you know, he didn't refer to the $50 million in, in BAM tech money, but that's uh, everybody's got that burning hole in their pocket. And, and it's just warmer than ever now that uh, so many teams have not been able to find a way to spend it uh, for whatever reason. But um, there's, uh, there's money to be spent and it's easier to spend money because more than ever teams are valuing the future value, the future abilities of their prospects. Um, they're able to, to all teams pretty much now speak the same language in terms of analytics and um, projection and future value wins over replacement. So um, it's just a matter of, um, you know, how far out do you want? How do you want to raid your own system to add somebody with uh, four years of control and a very affordable deal like Chris Archer? No one else has found a way to do that yet. So it tells you that the Rays put a very high price tag on him via trade, as they should when Pakoda tells you that uh, the Rays project at the moment to win more games in 2018 than the Twins. Yeah. Uh, well, and yeah, there have been several reports that they're not really looking to trade Archer. I understand these things can, yeah. can change on a dime. There have been lots of rumors about Rosie. Now, I mean, I've, I've read about all these, these rumors uh, involving the Twins and, and other teams. But as far as the Twins go, I have not really read much about who they might be willing to give up to get a veteran starter if they go the trade route. Uh, have there been any any names, uh, you know, according to your sources, uh, that they that you know are not on the uh, untouchable list? Well, I can just tell you, having put together the Baseball America Top 30 this year uh, and having done it now. Uh, all but one year on this beat, this will be year six. I, I have a pretty good feel for who's climbing their, their list and who's, who's falling a bit. Um, and, um, you know, I don't have uh, dead to rights, uh, actual names that they would have said are out of, you know, a commission, not touchable, um, under the right uh, circumstance. You could, you could probably talk yourself into a, a deal around Royce Lewis, uh, if it brought you back somebody that you thought would front your rotation for years to come. But I don't think they're looking to do anything like that. The guys that, um, it kind of it's in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? I mean, it, it's uh, what would it take to make a deal? You have to be willing to talk about anybody, whether it's on your major league roster or your minor league. I will say that Nick Gordon's stock has dropped, um, not precipitously. He's still in their top ten that I submitted for Baseball America, but um, you know, still some questions about his uh, upside at shortstop. They do think he could stay there, but would he be an above-average shortstop? And then he really has struggled now to hit against left-handers for a couple of years. Nick Gordon's a guy. That potentially they'd talk about having just invested the number one pick um, in the draft in Royce Lewis and having Wander Javier um, potentially on the same Cedar Rapids team, a uh, fine shortstop prospect as well, that they paid millions for out of the Dominican. So um, 
the shortstop is a place where they've kind of loaded up. Yeah, that's uh, definitely a uh, a log jam there. And, uh, you know, it seems when that happens in organizations, uh, you know, somebody either gets moved out of the organization or, or moved to another position. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, hard to yeah. see all of them uh, yeah, uh, staying where they are one way or another. Uh, one more pitching question for you uh, and something, uh, unfortunately, now I don't remember what the source was, but uh, it, basically it was uh, sort of handicapping the Twins rotation situation. And one of the names that was mentioned that really surprised me was Trevor May. Now, obviously, he's not going to be ready for spring training or opening day coming back from Tommy John's surgery, but he could be back maybe around the time Irvin Santana is ready to be back. Uh, do you see Trevor May actually going back to being a starter or is that uh, TBD? I think the plan is to have him start to stretch him out. It was probably the plan um, even before his UCLA gave out, or UCL gave out uh, a year ago uh, in spring. He had the surgery, uh, Tommy John surgery, mid March of six, of seventeen. So he thinks that he'll be ready to go uh, for rehab starts. Hopefully, coming out of spring, maybe a bit of extended spring form. And then you're right; he could be pushing for a spot in the rotation by um, sometime in May. I mean, generally 12 to 14 months on guys coming back uh, as starters, but I covered this team and Mike Pelfrey raced back in 10 months and was starting spring training games at full bore 10 months from a May 1st surgery. Um, So I I would not rule out Trevor May as an early season contender. He's now throwing bullpens. He's letting it go. He's reporting on Twitter that he feels great about it. We'll see how he looks when he gets to Fort Myers. Yeah, and incidentally, a great Twitter follow uh, Trevor May is. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Trevor May's great on everything. If, if you're into your video game uh, uh, <laughs> listeners, people are into the, the Twitch world. Uh, this man's an entrepreneur. I, I think his, his career earnings over under on whether more, more of them come from the uh, eSports world or the, or the MLB world. <laughs> I, I still think it's eSports. He's, this guy has some ideas. Yeah, no, he really does. He's also been on this show. Uh, so, uh, you know, he's, cool. uh, he's terrific. Uh, so uh, shifting over to the, the lineup, uh, one of the things I said early on in this episode is it's really an interesting roster from top to bottom. Like you, you alluded to, there's the changes of the bullpen, uh, which are, are an upgrade. Uh, and uh, then you've got at least three players who had just huge breakouts in the second half last year. And, and it's getting reflected in the uh average draft position early on here in fantasy Byron Buxton, you know, all of a sudden being viewed uh, as uh, you know, pretty much a number two outfielder Um, Eddie Rosario really raising his profile and Jorge Polanco uh, had a a big second half Uh, from now. You're, you're somebody of course who watches the team every day. So were there things that you saw with any of the three that either made you especially optimistic that they can make these improvements stick or perhaps things that make you a little skeptical? Well, uh, you know, the, start with this. All of those second half surges came in a pennant race, where the pressure was there every day, and there was there were no at bats given away and by pitchers or hitters. So that's different from what Buxton experienced in his seeming surge in '16, which was with a 103 loss team, and there was no pressure. He had a fine September, but he could not build on that. This time, he's shown himself that he could have a full second half that was outstanding across the board um still throws his body around right up through the uh wild card game throws his body into walls a bit too much for uh, i'm sure your fantasy players liking and certainly the twins uh, cringe every time they see that but this is how you win the gold glove and he has no intention of changing so 
uh, I think you're going to see him. He, he really figured out the stolen base end of things last year. Um, only caught once. That was in May. Um, he's not worried about power, but the ball does jump off his bat and um, just really did a better job staying in the zone. So I think a lot of the Buxton uh, gains can be carried over. Eddie Rosario reinvented himself really on the fly starting in mid-June with the help of James Rouse and, and Rudy Hernandez, the hitting coaches. And the biggest thing they got him to do finally was to lay off pitches that were well out of the zone, either in the dirt or up in his eyes. He had chased for two straight years, two plus years in the major leagues at a chase rate of 45% plus out of the zone. And he, he knocked that number down into the high thirties. It wasn't uh, that he became Joe Maurer light or anything, <laughs> but he just, he just had to stop getting himself out. Right. That's yeah. the one that you have to be concerned about because Eddie uh, fell short uh, by just a matter of days of being arbitration eligible. So he's still making close to the minimum to the minimum. He still has that pressure of trying to provide for the family and, and get that first contract, uh, uh, the first earning potential. So he's still playing to impress arbitration panels, whether he's thinking about it or not in 2018, you have to, you have to guard against that. He's also playing potentially for long-term uh, security because the twins will investigate that with all of their core players. They're going to have 10 guys eligible for arbitration uh, coming off of 2018 potentially. And I'm sure they'd like to whittle that list down somewhat with some multi-year deals that are uh, good for both sides. But uh, and then Kepler is interesting because playing in a pennant race actually worked against him in a way last year because of his struggles against left-handers. Eddie Rosario hits left and right, no problem. But Kepler, aside from a year in A where he was MVP of the Southern League uh, several years back, he has struggled to prove that he can play every day against left-handers as well. Everything else seems to be there. He improves defensively. He's a fine base runner underrated there he's got better speed than you expect but don't know if he'll be a base stealer but um, he'll score runs he knows how to go first to third and score from first on a double but the aspect against lefties it became a frustration for him last year Paul Mulder needed to win games and he had people from the right side like Robbie Grossman who could get on base at such a rate that Kepler didn't get that growth experience last year if they're again a contending team from day one I don't know that he gets that growth experience even this year against against the toughest lefties or even the mid-range lefties. So um, that's something to watch in terms of his value is for Max Kepler to be a full-fledged budding superstar. He needs to be entrusted against righties and lefties. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And um, Jorge Polanco, uh, big power breakout in the second half. And he's somebody that I picked on quite a bit on this show because the, the power numbers look really great, but he's somebody, he's, he's got a rare profile because he puts the ball in the air a lot, uh, but much more than someone, you know, who hits the ball as far and as hard as he typically does. Seems like he might be better served as being more of, of the line drive type hitter that he was when he first came up. Um any thoughts on Polanco and, and what that second half might mean for, for this season? Very streaky guy. Um, you know, going back even to his uh, first couple cracks of the major leagues and even in the second half of, uh, of 16, it, uh, he can get hot, but he also has these pro- prolonged slumps and to the point where they had to send him, twins sent him to have his eyes checked at the all-star break last year. That's how, how out of the zone he was getting historically he's always stayed in the zone throughout the minors always had a very good idea of the strike zone that tells you that a lot of that should carry over that he should be able to continue 
um, with more of a line drive stroke. I don't think that's a, that's asking too much of him. Uh, he does have the ability though to take the ball out. He does have um, slug in that bat. And uh, really, if you break down the numbers, I think starting in early August to the end of the season, the final two months, he's right there with Francisco Lindor in terms of productivity, any way you slice it. So, uh, the, the other thing that was big, and I think this should be factored in to his slow start last year, was that uh, for the first half, there was so much pressure on him defensively to prove that he could handle, especially the throws that a shortstop has to make. He's really not your your prototypical shortstop, especially when it comes to the throw in the hole. But he did well enough last year through footwork and through anticipation and cutting off angles that by the second half, he had pretty much convinced Paul Molitor and Gene Glenn, the uh, the infield coordinator, that he could stay there, that he could be their shortstop, and I think that allowed him to uh, stop worrying about the glove and it actually helped the bat. He was um, he not that he had broken down defensively, but he felt he had to prove it every day. This year, they're going with him from day one, and he'd have to play himself out of the lineup. Okay, well that's that's certainly good news uh, for a lot of fantasy owners again who who have uh, really warmed up to Polanco this offseason. And then last player I want to tackle here, uh, not literally of course, uh, Eduardo Escobar, <laughs> who uh, you know I think gets sort of lost in the shuffle and he's played a lot as a utility guy. Um, but uh, a 21 homer season last year that's backed up uh, by the expected home run, also 21. Uh, was the expected total for him based on you know launch angle and and you know all sorts of factors, uh, but it seems like he might have gotten a raw deal on batting average. I think he could uh, maybe uh, approach a level of like an Evan Longoria, uh, you know, being a steady twenty homer guy with a better batting average. Is, is that being overly optimistic? Well, so much of it comes down to the playing time opportunity, of course, and then you know. Uh... Miguel Sano's status being a little uncertain, although I do think that even with the surgery and the investigation, he'll he'll play the vast majority of the season. Might you know? I I wouldn't even begin to guess how much time he would miss. But physically, I think he'll be ready from day one. Um, Escobar, yeah, I mean he's always had pop. He's always even uh, when he showed up, uh, you know, in the Liriano trade, uh, and the Twins gave him uh, some run back in some of the really down days, the dark days of the end of the Guardi era. When Escobar gets a hold of one, it goes, and and he has added strength. He can this off season. He really told me he was in the gym five days a week for you know four or five hours down in Miami, where he lives now year round. Um, as many Venezuelan uh, natives have had to make that adjustment with their country in, in shambles. So he's bigger, he's stronger. Um, he thinks he can hold up over the long season, and keep in mind that he can be a free agent after the season. So. Um, that's not uh, something that's lost on him. A guy who's just an incredible story that he's even made it this far. Uh, a guy that Ozzie Guillen noticed on a backfield when he was in the White Sox chain um, down in the extended spring or something, and, and or in the off season in instructional league, and said, "Who's that?" And then basically the family uh, took him under their wing and all but adopted him, and, and uh, he ends up in the Liriano trade, and now he's one of the most popular twins. I don't know if he'll hit 20 homers again, but he's always had slug potential in there. And he has a better idea of the strike zone than he gets credit for. Well, it's, uh, I hope so. He's uh, somebody I, I certainly like a lot, but you're right. Depends on the playing time. Well, Mike, uh, we got to go. We got to head for break. But thank you so much for taking the time uh, today. And uh, uh, have fun uh, spring training. I'm, uh, <laughs> I know it's going to get busy for you. Good time of year. Thanks. Anytime, Al. All right. Thanks a lot, Mike. All right, folks. Stay tuned. Be right back after this break. 
Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, once again, I want to thank Mike Berardino for joining us for the, that last segment. Uh, now you see uh, why he is one of my favorite beat writers. So knowledgeable uh, and uh, always lots of great information. So uh, I hope to have uh, Mike back on the show sometime. Twins are certainly going to be an interesting team to watch this spring and uh, I think probably uh, all season long. Uh, one of the news items I did not get to in the first segment when I was uh, running down all the latest news, uh, not fantasy relevant, uh, has not been fantasy relevant for probably about a dozen years, but uh, you probably saw this story. It's just uh, too, uh, I don't know, incredible to, to pass up here. Esteban Loiza was arrested on Friday with possession of more than 20 kilos of cocaine and heroin. He's going to face three felony drug charges. Uh, so just... Uh, uh, you know, obviously a very strange story, uh, but uh, he, you know, he had his uh, his time. Uh, Two thousand three, uh, won twenty one games, had a two point nine zero ERA. Uh, that was with the White Sox. And it's funny because I think about Esteban Loaiza's career, I, I actually forget about that period, which was really the best part of his career. A couple years later, he was with the Nationals, I think, in their inaugural season in DC, and 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 had a pretty nice season. I always think of him coming up with the Pirates. But that's when I was uh, in my early years playing fantasy, and I think I had him at that rookie season. Uh, anyhow, so uh, strange story there with uh, Esteban Loiza, but um, not yeah, not fantasy relevant whatsoever. Um, what I will continue to do on this show and uh, probably uh, throughout the week, maybe I'll even tie it up a little bit early before the end of the week, is uh, to continue on with my sleeper and bust countdown. And also to uh, unveil my 10 outliers that I'm going to be following all season long. Before I do that, though, I uh, just want to remind you, check out www.fantasyfactor.com. Fantasy Factor is the perfect daily fantasy site for the casual recreational player. Flatter prize pools, smaller fields, and single entry contests only. Fantasy Factor runs NHL and NBA free rolls every week with free entry just simply sign up and enter. So again, that's www.fantasyfactor.com. So let's get to the sleepers bus and outliers. So, so far with the sleepers, uh, we've got Adam Frazier at number 10, Robert Stevenson at number nine, Kendrick Morales at number eight, and then hanging out there somewhere in the countdown, Todd Frazier, who I covered prematurely on the show because, uh, you know, he signed with the Mets last week. So had to talk about Todd Frazier and, and what his sleeper appeal is. Uh, so we're inching towards the, the Todd Frazier place on the list, but not going to get to it today. I'm going to tell you number seven and number six. Number seven is Ryan McMahon. Uh, and he's, uh, I wouldn't say he's a, a deep sleeper, but he's not getting drafted in the top 300. 
But I have noticed his ADP is creeping up a little bit. I think, you know, word is getting around that he's in that first base mix for the Rockies. And he just had a sensational minor league breakout last year. Batted 374, 411 on, on base percentage, 612 slugging with AAA Albuquerque uh, over 70 games. Uh, pretty decent contact hitter, only struck out 17% of the time. Uh, has a nice line drive stroke, uh, just squares up the ball. So lots of line drives, very few pop-ups. So there's that potential, you know, combined with a good strikeout rate. And again, who knows exactly how much of that will translate to uh, a rookie season. I mean, he played a little bit last year, but, you know, not enough to really uh, see how that's all going to translate for for McMahon. But there's certainly the potential there for big-time batting average. Don't forget, Coors Field uh, a great Babbitt Park and a Babbitt Park and a great home run park. So not just for home run hitters, but for doubles and triples hitters too. And of course, lots of power potential there. So if he gets a hold of some full time playing time, huge ceiling there for Ryan McMahon, and he is pretty much going undrafted in standard twelve team mixed leagues. And even in uh, maybe a fourteen fifteen team mixed league, you can get him pretty late. That's pretty cool. Uh, potentially huge value there in the late rounds. In fact, I remember very shortly after the end of the postseason, and I, I put a solicitation out on on Twitter and on my blog asking people, you know, what do you want to see more of in terms of uh, draft prep coverage? And I remember getting a response, I think maybe even from more than one person, uh, you know, we want to know who the next Aaron Judge is. And I thought that was, you know, of course, we all want to know who the next Aaron Judge is, but it does speak to a you know sort of category of player, very much like like where Ryan McMahon fits in right now. Might be in the starting lineup, might be going back to AAA. So, you know, on the fencer, depending on what the Rockies you know decide to do, they could still you know go out and bring Mark Reynolds back. Um, you know, they could put the. Uh, Ian Desmond back at first base, although I haven't really I haven't read anything to indicate that that's what they're thinking of doing. But they they certainly have their options. But they could go with McMahon. They seem to be inclined to give him a shot. And it's just like with Aaron Judge, where we didn't know if he was going to start with the Yankees or start start at AAA. And you know that between the difficulty he had, in, you know, his first time in the major leagues and, and all the strikeouts and everything, and people weren't really trusting him. McMahon's in a very very similar position. Except you don't have the concern about the strikeouts. So he's coming at a, at a big-time bargain, probably more of a bargain than Aaron Judge was this time last year. So I, I really like him. Maybe even have him a little too low as my number seven sleeper. Uh, my number six sleeper, also first base eligible, but also outfield eligible, with a 277 ADP. So he is getting drafted, but getting drafted late. And that's Jose Martinez of the Cardinals. Uh, as a uh, 28 and 29-year-old last year, surprising major league breakout after being a journeyman in the minor leagues for a long time, not really putting up eye-popping numbers, certainly not big power numbers. And he uh, hit 14 home runs, uh, again, not you know being up the whole, or, or he actually was up the whole year, but not playing regularly the whole year, and uh, batting 309. And similar to McMahon, a, a decent strikeout rate, a uh, very good line drive rate, 27% line drive rate last year. Doesn't pull the ball a lot, so he was getting a good amount of power and a tough park to hit home runs in without going pull crazy. So that speaks to 
Martinez's potential to hit for a high average and a 37% hard contact rate. So that also supports those numbers that he put up last year, Jose Martinez. I understand, just like with McMahon, concerns about playing time, very crowded uh, infield and outfield situation in St. Louis. But as I mentioned on the show last week, if there's going to be somebody who's going to lose playing time, who's in the current mix, I think it's going to be Paul DeYoung, just based solely on, on skills and numbers. And I understand that's one piece of the puzzle. It's only one part of the story. But I, I do find that the players with skill do tend to win out over time. Now, you can also question the skill numbers for Martinez because what he did last year, again, not being a regular all season long, the numbers he put up were at odds with what he did in the minor leagues, and he's 29 years old. So there's a lot of reason for skepticism with Jose Martinez here. But if what he did is legit, and if he continues it, and those skills do translate into more playing time, then that 277 ADP is going to represent a huge bargain. Maybe not quite as much of a bargain as Ryan McMahon, but pretty darn close. And I, I could see a path where all those ifs work out for Jose Martinez. So... We shall see. We shall see. Again, you don't have to invest much in either one of these guys, McMahon or Martinez. I like them both as, as late-round flyers, even a, in a 12-teamer. Now, as far as the busts, here's what we got so far. We got uh, Manuel Margot was number 10. As I just mentioned, Paul DeYoung was on the list. He's number 9. Trevor Bauer was number 8. Mike Zunino at number 7. And now we're up to number 6. And it's Roberto Ozuna. And I think of the five names now I've mentioned so far on the bust list, I know Margot's got his supporters. Bauer's got his supporters. I think this is the one that's probably going to have people shaking their heads the most, maybe even drawing a little bit of ire. People love Roberto Ozuna. He's got a 79 ADP, which is fifth among relievers. He's the in the early ADP here, NFBC. Only four relievers taken ahead of him. Uh, Kniebel, uh, actually it's Chapman's four, Kniebel three, uh, Kimbrell and Jansen. So, Maybe not quite in their company, but very close to it. And I'm very concerned about Roberto Ozuna. Yeah, great control, uh, gets the strikeouts. Uh, you might think, what what is there to possibly not like? But the velocity was down last year, uh, depending on what time of the season it was, between one or two miles an hour uh, as compared to the same time period in 2016. Uh, he didn't pitch in the zone nearly as much last year but still remains one of the best pitchers in terms of getting batters to chase. That's always a great thing for any pitcher. So there's a lot to still like about Roberto Ozuna, but now, you know, if he, if he doesn't get the percentage of pitches that he, he throws in the strike zone back up to where it had been before, then he's more and more reliant on that ability to get chases. And the second half was just pretty ugly. Uh, a 4.97 ERA did have a just ridiculously low 48% strand rate, which is obviously due to improve just by virtue of random fluctuation. But uh, the second half, he did uh, allow a lot of hard contact, did allow uh, batters to pull the ball a lot. So maybe not a 48% strand rate, but you know, with all that hard contact, Maybe it would, if that doesn't improve, it still doesn't, you know, get up to the, the 75 or I'm sorry, the 70 percent uh, area, which is a little subpar. So there's there's just these, you know, look, I like Roberto Ozuna. He should be somebody's top reliever. 
I just think it's a huge reach with some of the red flags that are up there, particularly with the velocity, and then some of the statistical things that appear to have coincided with that. That picking him as the fifth reliever overall, 79th uh, in ADP, that's that's a big investment for somebody that I think carries a lot of risk. And you're talking about relievers who, again, anybody who's pretty much not Kenley Jansen or Craig Kimbrell, I've, I'm worried about them. I'm worried about their consistency. So Ozuna's probably even to me more risky than just about anybody in the upper part of that pool. That feels like a huge stretch. So he's, he's in the number six bust for me. And number five is Travis Shaw. And again, there's a lot that Travis Shaw did last year that I like. He could possibly repeat what he did, maybe even what he did in the first half. But it, it, there's sort of a parallel here to what I was saying about Ozuna. You've got a lot of other alternatives there. You've got, you know, in terms of relievers, you know, you've got Brad Hand uh, that you could take, who's who's going, you know, considerably later. Um, Felipe Rivero, you know, you've got some guys who are who are, you know, have a very good chance of being a, a quality first reliever. Third base is so deep. You don't need to reach for Travis Shaw. And right now, his ADP overall is 95th. He's going in the top 100. He is ninth ranked among third basemen in average draft position. And I just think he's, you know, he's lumped in with a bunch of guys who are going considerably later. In fact, I've got him ranked 22nd among third basemen, which might seem super low. And I have to admit, even to look at my rankings, I'm like, how is Travis Shaw that low? But it's just, it's such a deep position. I've got him behind Mike Moustakis. Granted, it might depend where he winds up, but uh, I trust the power with Moustakis a little bit more. I've got him behind a. Eugenio Suarez. I've got him a little bit behind Nick Castellanos. Uh, I, I think those guys are all more or less equivalent. But the thing I worry about with Shaw, first of all, I don't expect a number thirty plus, uh, another thirty-plus homer season out of him yet. Thirty-one last year, his expected home run rate was, or expected home run total was twenty-five, and he wasn't bad against lefties. But given all the platoon options that Craig Council has with the Brewers, uh, he struck out twenty-seven percent of the time against lefties. I could see Shaw losing some at bats. He wasn't all that good in the second half, and so there's a lot of ifs here. But if he is more like he was in the second half, if he continues to strike out a lot against lefties, uh, if the third base pool is as deep as it looks, there's no way Shoppy should be drafted as a top 10 third baseman. Again, way too much risk, way too many alternatives. That's a reach. And my outlier of the day, so far we've had Jake Odorizzi, Wade Miley, Javier Baez, Didi Gregorius, and Jorge Polanco. These are all players who are just enigmas to me. They succeed in ways that just don't make sense. Uh, and uh, the, the latest one on the list is Miguel Castro. Talked about him on the show last week with Nando. Uh, I think he could be one of the better Sparps, that is starting pitchers who are relief eligible. That could be very valuable in a, in a head-to-head league. Not necessarily a lot of, of uh, strikeouts there, although there is some upside. But he got a combination of soft ground ball contact and pulled ground balls. So two things that are going to kill batting average. Uh, a combination of those things that didn't show up for any other pitcher last year. And batters hit 149 on grounders against him, almost 100 points below the major league average. He could be a sneaky play, uh, particularly in head-to-head leagues uh, with a, a, a good ERA and, and a decent whip. Anyway, packed show today. 
I'll say not, it's not all you Darvish's fault. Anyways, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks to Mike Berardino for joining me here on the air. I'll be back tomorrow, same time, 3 Eastern, New Pacific, right here on Fantasy Sports Radio. Have a great afternoon, everybody.